Awesome. How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to uh, another episode of the Well.com podcast. Um, my name is Dale Spilker. I'm an advisor with Well.com. I'm also a welding instructor on the Eastern Shore of Virginia. I teach uh, welding level one and welding level two to high school juniors and high school seniors. I've spent uh, my time in industry, a few to, several other uh, positions as well. I haven't always been a teacher. Um, today, I'm here with uh, two of my friends and aspiring engineers and engineers, um, Rob Borowitz and John Held. I've known these guys for for a decent amount of time over, I mean, probably over 10 years for each of them. Um, and they both, they each started as welders in the industry and they've transitioned to engineering or engineer schooling. And that's, uh, that's something I've found in industry to be a lot of people's common goal. So today we're going to talk a little bit about it and how to reach, how to reach that goal if you're in the position where you're still behind the hood and, uh, and you see yourself in the future, you know, designing the things that you're actually welding together. Um, I'd like to first introduce uh, my good friend, John Held. John, you want to tell us a little bit about your, a uh, little bit about what you're doing, engineering degree that you're getting, um, just a little intro. Yeah. Hey, I'm John Held. I've uh, been a professional fabricator for 15 years, uh, really specific into heavy industrial equipment, um, building anything from mining trucks to overhead bridge cranes, and now I'm doing railroad maintenance equipment. Um, and within the past three years, I actually started going to school to become an engineer. I think it's been a goal of mine for a long time, but uh, I think I like to tell myself that it wasn't attainable until I realized that the company that I worked for actually had tuition reimbursement and they were really understanding and flexible and they actually encouraged me to go uh, try to achieve that degree so that I can actually take my knowledge from working on the floor up to their engineering department and help them out in ways that people that come straight from school don't have the ability to do. So I'm only three years in, but I'm taking it really slow because I'm still working full time and I'm about at a sophomore level now. So I'm just really getting into like the mechanical engineering uh, coursework. Um, just got through prerequisites and uh, yeah, so it's going really good, really smooth. And I've got a lot of support from my company and it's great. Awesome, awesome, man. I'm definitely gonna ask you a few more questions about that here uh, in a few minutes. Um, Rob Borowitz, you wanna go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself? Yep. So uh, my name is Rob Borowitz. Um, I work at NASA Langley Research Center for Jacobs Engineering. Um, I've only been with this company for about a year. Um, you know, I st obviously started off as a welder um, at Newport News Shipbuilding, uh, went through their apprentice school program, uh, got my undergrad in mechanical engineer at Old Dominion University. And then, uh, with, like I said, within the last year, I transitioned over um, to a different position. Um, they're um, pretty much doing all uh, mechanical reliability uh, type of work, uh, keeping the wind tunnels on center, um, you know, operating and avoiding shutdowns. So I've uh, thoroughly enjoyed that, that job. Um, but I've also had some opportunities to use uh, some of my welding experience um, to, to my advantage and 
to help solve uh, issues a little bit quicker than, uh, you know, what they would normally take just from having that knowledge. Um, but yeah. That's awesome. So you're, you're pretty much in an engineering role right now, right? Correct. Yep. Cool. So, and Jake, you said Jacobson, correct? So the company is, uh, Jacobs engineering. Um, Jacobs engineering. Gotcha. a pretty large company. They're in about 40 different countries right now. Uh, the company, um, you know, is in all kinds of different sectors, uh, you know, including, you know, cyber intelligence, infrastructure, energy, weapon systems, and aerospace. Um, the group I primarily work in is uh, the Jacobs Tidewater Operations Group at um, NASA Langley Research Center in Hampton, Virginia. Um, our group is led by uh, Rick Wyman and Lisa Monaco. Um, actually, our our company is currently um, looking for uh, electrical engineers and vibration experts. If anyone listening is uh, you know interesting, they can apply at uh, careers.jacobs.com. And that's careers.jacobs.com. Um, yeah, we're always looking for good engineers, especially some coming from trades uh, who have hands-on um, experience. Um, you know, obviously, there's a lot of smart kids coming straight out of college, but uh, sometimes that interface with, you know, working with, uh, you know, trades workers, um, sometimes that transition could could not be as smooth, but, you know, coming right. from yeah. that, that area, uh, I think, um, you know, able to communicate with them a lot uh, more effective uh, than, right. you know, say someone coming straight out of college. So, yeah. Well, that's pretty cool, man. I, um, I remember when you uh, took that position, I was pretty excited for you. Yeah. Working at yeah. NASA. Yeah. That's an Some, awesome job. Definitely a goal that uh, I set when, you know, when I was 16 years old, this is where, where I wanted to end up. So I'm glad it's it, really cool. That's awesome. So, yeah. you know, I wanted, I, I want everybody. Yeah. I want to speak about engineering and stuff like that, but I want everybody to know a little bit about like where you guys came from and how you guys stumbled into, you know, obviously this is the weld.com podcast, but how you stumbled into the welding industry, you know, was it, was it by chance? Was it by mistake? Or did you always want to be a welder? And, you know, how'd you go about your education? Did, did, are you an educated welder? Did you, or did you just learn on the job? You know, either one of you guys can go first. Doesn't make a difference. Uh, I'll pick that one up. So I became a welder, like straight from high school. I took the high school vocational welding program. I had a friend that did it, that encouraged me to go do it. Um, We were both into BMX. uh, So I guess the idea was to try to build like BMX parts, but that's not really, uh, it's a good goal, but it's like a really tough industry to get into. But like just having like the skill to weld makes you super, uh, you know, versatile. You can go work anywhere and they're going to need welders. So just coming straight out of high school, I got, um, I got pulled into a job that was willing to train me on the job starting at a really good rate, uh, had great benefits and all that. So like right out of high school, I felt like I was like already in my welding career. Um, that was at Lee Bear Mining Equipment and, uh, you know, it was a great company and I got like a whole lot of experience straight out of the gate. Um, 
super grateful to be able to work for them for, you know, five or six years. And then I went on and, you know, tackled other, other jobs. But, um, yeah, so it was a pretty easy transition straight from high school. And I kind of knew right away that I wanted to be a welder because I really like building things. But then down the line, uh, I started realizing that uh, what I brought to the table was more than just welding because I could problem solve like big issues that they were having. I did a lot of repair work and I would find that the engineers kind of like didn't really uh, know how to communicate all the time with the fabricators. So I think that kind of sparked in my mind that uh, I could do that because I understood from both sides of the table where the engineers were coming from and where the fabricators were coming from. So, you know, that kind of moved me into another direction. That's pretty cool. So you took like a two-year program in high school? Yeah, it was a two-year welding program for uh, juniors and seniors um, in Virginia Beach. And it really taught me like all of uh, foundational stuff. And anybody that's looking to get a career like straight out of high school, absolutely look into vocational programs because like out out of high school, you're going to end up paying like tens of thousands of dollars for that exact same skill set. That's pretty cool. So uh, quick question for you, and then I'm probably the same thing for you, Robbie, but uh, a little bit about how I got into the industry. You know, I wanted to build a skate, skateboard rail. That's that's why I started welding. Um, and it took me a long time to actually build a skateboard rail. But John, had, did you ever make any BMX parts? I uh, never made any parts, but I did make some rails. Um, okay. And, you know, just some ramp fabrication that involves some metal work. Right. Right. It's kind of funny how we start into the industry. And then uh, with one goal in mind, mine was only to build a skateboard rail and never got to build a skateboard rail, at least in school. Hi, everyone. If you go to store.lincolnelectric.com, you can use our promo codes weld.com10 which is 10% off of equipment and weld.com 20, which is 20% off gear and accessories. These are valid through the end of the year and weld.com is spelled out W E L D D O T C O M. And then you just put 10 or 20 afterwards. And there's a section on their online store site where you can go to new products and promotions and right now they actually have the Aspect 230 DC welder on sale for $3,721.54. So go save an extra 10%. But it's kind of funny. Robbie, tell us a little bit about your background, uh, where you came from, how you got into welding. Yeah, so I, I guess how you ended up in your position now, maybe. Yeah, so I... Uh... When I was in high school, I was very adamant to my parents that I was not going to go to college. Absolutely, you know, said there's no way I'm going to fork out that kind of money and have to pay it back. You know, because they were going, uh, they told me they were going to help me, but uh, ultimately it was going to be mostly on myself. So there was absolutely, didn't even try to stop uh, that idea. So uh, my dad, um, you know, one day pulled me out of school, and I think it was like 10th grade. Um, we went and looked at the, the welding program um, where you're at now, uh, Dale, uh, at, 
at the high school and uh i was like yeah this this looks cool because um you know i was always really intrigued on you know making uh t-tops for boats and you know fly bridges on the you know the big sport fishing yachts so i thought uh you know that would be you know cool to do one day and and that same day that i went and visited uh you know our our good friend uh, Mason Craft, I ran into him as he was coming out of his uh, his class, and he was like, "Dude, you got to do this." So yeah. I was like, "Yeah." So uh, so transferred schools, um, you know, did did the Votech two years in high school, and then um, the apprentice school was coming to our our high school to uh, recruit people to come into their program. Um, got accepted, and then uh, started welding from them, and really did not have, still did not. Um, have any eagers to like you know do any more education than what I had to to get to that program and then uh, working a lot around a lot of uh, you know older older welders um, you know really pushed me um, you know on the job getting to know some of these guys you know telling me like you know you're way too smart to be a, a welder why don't you you know you have the if you have the opportunity go and take some engineering courses so uh, you know I think I think at that age, at you know, 18 years old, when I was, I had the opportunity to go into the apprentice school's advanced engineering program. I'm pretty sure I only picked it because uh, I would get out of work to go to class. <laughs> so it, it it's kind of funny how that worked out, but you know, I wound up doing um, pretty well into that program, and then got into the next uh, program that the apprentice school offered, which was to get my engineering um degree in, in mechanical at uh at ODU so uh you know doing that transition uh you know was it's kind of funny how it all played out on not really uh being very motivated to go to school and now it's like uh you know I almost would cherish a textbook more than I cherish anything else in this world cuz I, I mean I feel like a, a a lot of uh information is is in books is all over the internet. All you have to do is spend the time to read it. You can learn it. Right. So I eventually, you know, got my engineering degree and then wanted to, you know, transition into aerospace. So then I started uh, the graduate school program in ODU, um, which was kind of nice because uh, the mechanical and aerospace is the same department. So a lot of classes overlap with each other and then uh, wind up transitioning out to uh, NASA Langley with Jacobs engineering and uh you know finally getting to where you know i wanted uh wanted to be you know i don't really start anything and not not finish it so uh it's just it's very refreshing to know that you know an idea a long time ago um you know wind up being fulfilled you know i wanted to work at nasa but my envision of working at nasa was being a, a welder and a fabricator on rockets not you know doing right. other things so worked out right that's pretty cool um a little thing that i wanted to get that i wanted to get into is um so john kind of hit on it a little bit but money let's talk a little bit about money and i'm not necessarily talking about how much you make i want to know like the cost associated with going to engineering school you guys are probably taking two different routes to get there um and and what is that like i mean are you guys paying off student loans right now or, or what does that look like to you guys? I've got a zero balance student loan. 
I have not borrowed a single cent. Uh, I fronted the money um, to pay for my first semester, and ever since then, my the company Plaster American that I work for, they've paid back every dollar in uh, tuition back to me for the next semester. So wow, yeah. So it hasn't cost me a thing. That's awesome. So do you um do you have to like sign a contract with them saying you'll work you'll work for X amount of years? after they after you finish schooling or something like that so their policy only states that uh for one year past the uh reimbursement you work for them or else you have to pay it back which i mean you know ask anybody that's nothing yeah that's awesome that's that is that's really crazy so you get four, four years of schooling for only working for them for a year after after you graduate obviously yeah and i mean after all that like i feel like i owe them that much you know yeah yeah oh for sure for sure for sure i mean they do that with the hopes that you're you're going to stay there for long term obviously you know what about you robbie yeah so well it was kind of the same deal when i was going to the apprentice school with that company uh huntington ingles industry was same thing you know after your last class uh you would have to wait a year you would have to pay it back um so i knew that going in when i you know decided to leave so i think it wind up playing playing out to uh uh i had to pay for i think uh two classes is all i've had to pay pay for up to this point of um you know nearly finishing my master's degree so uh yeah it's there's, you know, people always think that, you know, college is very expensive, but there is, you know, our two companies right now are not the only two companies out there that have reimbursement, uh, you know, programs for education. I mean, there's, there's a lot of them. So, I mean, you know, people want free education. Uh, you know, there's multiple routes of getting there, but, you know, obviously you have to be giving something back, uh, you know, to the company, you know, work-wise. So, uh, right. It's just a little bit harder to get there, but I mean, it took me eight years to get my undergrad, but you know, zero student loans is awful nice too. Yeah. I mean, better than having a hundred or $200,000 in loans hanging over your head, you know, you got paid for that whole entire time. Yep. That's, that's pretty cool. That is awesome. So another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So when you guys were in, I'm assuming... um, when you guys were in the trades, it sounds like both of you guys made that decision to pursue engineering. Um, did you? Ha- what type of students were you guys in high school? Like, were, were you really the, the A student and you just decided to take welding to go just to miss class, I guess to say? Or um, were you the type of student that didn't really perform well in high school? Um, no, I was a fairly good student in high school. I wasn't always as motivated as I could have been, but the material was never hard for me, especially in like math and science, which obviously for pursuing an engineering degree, 
or an engineering profession, you would want to be proficient in math and science. Um, yeah. So having those down obviously helped when I got into the trades. Um, but yeah, as far as high school goes, like uh, I did pretty well. Um, you know, when I did apply to college, I had already been out of high school for, I think, like 13 years. And they took me without being tested based on my SAT scores, which were 13 years old at that point. So, wow. um, you know, that was lucky to have that. But also, um, yeah, it definitely helps to be proficient in math and science. Uh, I wasn't necessarily like a stellar student, like I said, but I had a good uh, foundation. Right. That's awesome. That's awesome. Completely different than myself. I mean, I took welding because I don't, I don't know what else I would have done. But Robbie, what about yourself? About yeah, you? I mean, I, uh, I would say I did fairly well in high school. Um, you know, I, the effort really wasn't there, but certain classes, for instance, like physics, or when I was in like, you know, any of the, the math courses, uh, I seemed to pay a, you know, paid more attention in, in class and did very well in those courses. But when it came to like, you know, English and history, I mean, I was completely zoned out. I don't think I ever took a book home my 10th or my junior and senior year of high school, you know. Um, but I, I did fairly well. You know, I wasn't definitely like a pushover student. But, um, yeah, I mean, it just wasn't something that I, you know, saw myself doing uh, any more than I had to uh, leaving high school. So Right, right. I think it's pretty crazy that both of you guys – you know, you, you guys had your eyes set on the welding industry and never really thought about anything really further than that. You just, you guys thought, you know, hey, welding is awesome. I want to weld maybe potentially for the rest of my career. And it's kind of crazy where you're, where both of your guys' career paths have taken you. You know, John has been a welder for, you know, maybe 15 years now or 14 years, somewhere around that. Robbie, you were a welder for some time. Um, both in two different industries, kind of the same area, but I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy that you guys did it that way. You know, traditionally a high school student getting out of, uh, getting out of school really just thinks, oh, I'm going to college. I'm getting an engineering degree. It's kind of interesting that you guys chose the trade route. And then the trade route is the one that opened your eyes to the, um, degree path and possibly ending up helping out the guys that are, uh, that are actually welding out there in the field by doing different design work and stuff like that. Um, go ahead. You about to say something? Yeah. I was just going to say like, at least for me, I felt like welding was like, you know, I was always very good at drawing when I was younger. Um, mm -hmm. And I felt like, you know, welding was just like, you know, a pure art to do, especially uh, when you get into some different uh, processes like pulse art or, uh, you know, welding, t you know, using TIG. Uh, so I was, you know, I had completely accepted, you know, when I was in high school that I know welders, you know, it's very hot in the summer, it's very cold in the winter, but I was all right with that. You know, obviously working hard wasn't an issue at all. Um, but yeah, I had basically accepted, uh, to be a welder for, you know, my whole career would have been just fine. So, yeah. That's pretty cool. That's awesome. Um, so, I guess this is probably this is probably a huge question. 
I got a few other ones for you guys too, but um, coming from where you guys came from, you're both moderately younger guys. Robbie's a little bit younger than both John and I. Um, what would be your advice to somebody that's, you know, behind the shield right now, potentially listening to this episode, thinking about going to school as to become an engineer, or maybe that thought has crossed their mind once or twice, you know, what would be your biggest piece of advice to those individuals that are possibly thinking about it, but I mean, maybe in the same position as you, John, never even really considered yourself at that level to go to engineering school. But when you got in the industry, you kind of realized, you know, hey, you know, I could definitely do that. Yeah, so you really have to, you have to realize that your skills um, are an asset and your knowledge is an asset. And with that, you need to take, um, you need to, you know, put in the effort to find the ways to get on the path that you want. Nobody's going to come find you and say, hey, do you want to volunteer to be an engineer? That just doesn't happen. You know, right. you got to put in some legwork. You got to like find whatever it is, uh, grants or um, if there is a tuition reimbursement program, you know, that's great. It, it might already be in place at the company you work for, but it's just in the handbook and you haven't opened the handbook. It could be something that simple. You know, you just got to you got to find that path for you and realize that the information and the knowledge and skills you have already are an asset. Wow. I, I don't think I could have said it any better. Yeah, I can't agree any more on that. <laughs> I mean, the only thing I would add is like definitely – definitely working full time and taking classes is, is nothing to, to underestimate. I mean, it is extremely difficult. Um, you know, if you have, if you have good discipline, um, I think really that's the only way to make it through it. I don't you know. I never really considered myself all that smart of a guy and I still don't really think I'm all that smart, but if you have the, the discipline and you want something bad enough, you will get it. And that is, you know, into everything in life. Um, but you know, wanting, wanting something bad enough, uh, you'll go through, uh, the extremes to get there. I mean, obviously, you know, you're going to have to sacrifice you, you know, your weekend, you might miss birthday parties, you might miss, you know, whatever, but you know, in the end it will definitely pay off long-term. Yeah, for sure. For sure. For sure. And you know, and for the people listening, I'm not an engineer. I went to uh, I went to welding school, got out of uh, got out of high school where I took my welding school, and then entered the welding field. And I really haven't looked back then. I kind of fell into teaching in a way, teaching something I was always interested in. But my performance in high school was not very high, and I've had those uh, those same thoughts as John has had. You know, sitting on the shop floor dealing with engineers that I'm working with, thinking, you know, man, I could probably do their job especially when it comes down to the fact that as a um as a welder on the shop floor you're actually building those those items that the engineers have designed and things like that and you stumble upon problems and stuff like that and having the experience that you do as a welder you you tend to sit back and think you know what the heck how, how did somebody make this mistake but as a welder what you might not be thinking about sometimes is hey, this individual sitting behind the computer doing these designs doesn't have the same background as you. They didn't go to welding school. 
they, they may not have even known how to operate a drill when they entered engineering school. So it's things like that that a lot of welders don't necessarily think about when, when we find these mistakes and stuff like that. Um, and that really leads into like the next thing that I wanted to hit on. And it would be, you know, you guys obviously have welding experience. What is the biggest thing um, that you feel has helped you? Um, not necessarily throughout your welding career, but what do you think is the biggest thing that you're taking away from your welding career and then you're bringing to the engineering field? Um, a lot of, you know, practical application stuff. Like there's so many things that you can learn in school. For instance, like you might learn about torque, but like you still don't know how to change a tire when changing a tire is nothing but applying torque, you know? Right. Um, but just having uh, the, the applicable knowledge to do different tasks and realize that uh, not everything is always going to be perfect. Even, you know, if your computer-aided drafting program says that it should work out every time, it might not for whatever, you know, variations or, um, you know, maybe some slight human error here and there that could change, you know, a, a design a little bit that you might not have considered. So you have to consider um, more variables as a as an operator than you do as a as an engineer. Um, so stuff like that. Yeah, and I would say um, I think definitely, you know, I ha I have spent some time in design, um, but mostly of most of my career has been in you know being a field engineer going to a component that you know is not running and troubleshooting on on why it's not running and what caused the failure so um you know just being like mechanically inclined uh you know obviously as a welder you're not you're not taking that many things apart but you know say if your machine jams up you're you know you're taking it apart and at least looking to right. trying to figure things out which you know just that that uh that process of thinking i think is has definitely helped me you know being in the field and you know troubleshooting but um also like you know when i was in design um whether i was reviewing design or designing something i the, i always took in consideration if if fitting a comp you know fitting and say a, you know a bulkhead or piping going through something um if one if it was a cheap achievable to fit and two if it was weldable without you know a welder using a mirror or modifying a torch um yeah. you know and trying to make it easier for that person building whatever you're designing versus just throwing things together um you know saying oh well you know the calcs work out so we'll let them handle it and you know like stuff like that used to come up all the time where you know the engineers would come down even when i was still welding and they would just be like completely shocked that they had made this mistake um, or whatnot. And then would have, right. you know, then you have downtime where it takes a few days, few weeks, whatever for a design change to come out. But, you know, minimizing all of that um, is definitely things that I've, you know, considered, um, you know, like I said, just making things easier for the craftsman. So a little bit of a backstory uh, for everybody. Here at the school that I teach at, I um, the classroom next to me is the auto shop. And the auto shop teacher is um, Rob Borowitz's dad. 
Um, we call him Big Frank, Mr. Borowitz. And um, he's a guy, he went to, uh, he got out of high school, went to school um, to learn how to work on automobiles, um, different, as- different aspects of it. I think when he went to high school, he just completed high school, then signed up for a, a trades program at a college and took that automotive program, got out of it, and then pursued a career in the automotive field. He was he worked at a dealership for many, many, many years, um, almost almost so many that I think he may have retired from it, not sure. And then he transitioned to uh, to become a auto shop teacher at a high school, um, a little bit closer to his home. But every, nah, I'm not going to say every day, but a lot of times when I walk into his shop, He's, you know, elbow deep into some some engine cursing about how some engineer designed something where he's got to take all these parts off to get to the particular piece when presumably in his eyes, it could just be in this location and be just fine. Um, so having that that trade experience in that background and I've always thought about it from from his from his point of view, like, you know, why why didn't the engineers talk to a mechanic? before they designed the engine this way, you know, and, and maybe, maybe they actually did. And the engineers probably have a reason for the way it is, but I always wondered, is there any kind of cross communication there um, with those types of things? And, you know, John and I worked together for many years. We've seen engineers come out to the floor, talk, talk about things. Um, But to me, I don't really think that it's always been a, uh, a true change that has been made. Um, Robbie, you have experience at Newport News Shipbuilding. I think the engineers probably communicate uh, with trades workers and supervisors of those, of those positions a little bit better than they have in uh, John and I's past. But uh, I always thought that's that's super interesting. And, and it's funny because, once again, Big Frank, Robbie's dad, is always cursing about these stupid engineers and I always think, man, your your son's in engineering school, you know, oh, kind of thing. So, well, well, if I'm with him and he starts getting t- into that rant, he's looking at me like I was the one that had designed whatever he was working on, you know. <laughs> so that's why I I pay even more close attention on you know when if, if a design change is needed on making it easier for the craftsman or the mechanic welder whatever to work on it because he's drilled it in my head so much. Right. Right. That's awesome. And what, what I want everybody to understand is that a day in Robbie's house is pretty much like a, um, uh, like a reality TV show where everybody's yelling at each other, all kinds of wild stuff's happening. And, uh, and then you got big Frank here with grease all the way up to his elbows cursing about engineers. It's a, it's a pretty uh, interesting situation, but yeah, definitely maybe. Uh, valuable people to know, and they've helped me out a ton in my career as well. Maybe maybe Jessica can find a producer and get this TV show rolling. That would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you want to be on a TV show? Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. All right. I, I mean, we might be able to talk to somebody and get you on, like, the Jersey Shore or something. Yeah. Reboot yeah. that up. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, we, you guys talked a little bit about schooling, um, and obviously a bunch about schooling. We've talked a ton about it, but, um, Robbie mentioned a little bit about how, how tough it can be, um, with studying and taking classes and stuff like that. So what does a normal day look, look like for you guys? Because 
you know, specifically John right now at this point, and you've been through this too as well, Rob, like you're, you're going to work at like six o'clock in the morning or seven o'clock in the morning, or sometimes even earlier, you're getting off of work after working eight, nine, 10 hours a day. And then I'm assuming you guys are going to class then or doing schoolwork, staying up till, I mean, who knows what's a reasonable hour to go to sleep at that point, you know, and how do you guys manage that? What does a normal day look like when you're in school to begin to be an engineer and working full time? It can be, uh, they can be long days. Uh, usually, uh, get up, go to work. Um, I'm working 40 hours a week, so I'm still getting, you know, full time and I'm going to school about eight hours a week. Um, so yeah, usually I'll, if, if I, go to I'll either go to work for like 10 hours or I'll go to work for five hours and then go to class for you know four or five hours and then you know my evenings just like any other you know buddies evening I go home uh feed my 10 dogs uh you know make make dinner for the wife and uh then I start doing homework at around 10 o'clock and hopefully I'm in bed by midnight and then I'm back up at six the next day so we just breezed over over top of something real quick. Ten dogs. Yeah, just ten dogs right now. Um, just. Yeah, we're we're big time animal lovers. Uh, you know, try to foster, adopt. Uh, you know, go to your local shelter, stuff like that. Make wow. sure to spay and neuter your pets, people. That's crazy. Ten dogs. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. What about you, Robbie? Yeah, so starting off um, at the beginning of undergrad, um, you know, it wasn't as time demanding, but definitely once, um, you know, I got into, you know, the senior senior course, level 400 courses, I definitely was spending a lot more time, um, you know, uh, you know, studying or, you know, watching lectures. Um, now, even, in, you know, transitioning into grad school, um, you know, I almost forget on how much I, how much I s- studied or struggled in undergrad, but I can tell you right now, you know, granted I'm doing, you know, my thesis research. I mean, it's pretty much go to work from seven to three thirty ish, sometimes four, um, you know, working 40 hours, come home, uh, maybe grab something to eat. And then I'm just straight doing schoolwork till sometimes two, three o'clock in the morning. Um, there's been multiple times where I've gone into work with no sleep. Um, you know, you just got to grind it out. I mean, it's, I don't know if undergrad was ever that difficult, but, uh, you know, I'm not trying to scare any or anyone away, but it, it all goes into what, you know, what you're trying to achieve. You're just trying to get a degree, um, you know, slide by with, you know, whatever you need to get, you know, into the next course as a prereq. Or are you trying to, you know, maximize your time in the classroom and, you know, try to fully understand all of the concepts um, to the best of your ability? Um, you know, that's kind of the student that I've transitioned into. Um, yeah, so it, it's, it goes back to how much you're how much willing, how much you're willing to put into the school schooling, um, you know, what you're trying to gain out of it. Are you just just trying to get a degree or are you? You're, you're trying to, you know, maximize your full potential 
um, I think that will definitely dictate on how much time you put into uh, the school, but it's, it is certainly not easy. I mean, I would joke to my brother saying it would be easy going to, you know, school full time and not working. He would say the exact opposite. He thinks I'm doing the easy route. I'm like, right. You right. have no, you have no idea. <laughs> Mentioned a little bit about, uh, about family situation, Robbie and his brother, it's like the bash brothers when they get together. <laughs> Um, yeah. but Robbie, you're pretty much, uh, are, are you taking like a full course load while working full time? Yeah. So, uh, in undergrad, I was taking about three classes each, uh, spring and fall. And then over the summertime, I would take, uh, two classes, but they'd be separated on, you know, week durations where I was only taking one course at a time, but pretty much for the last 10 years, I've taken classes spring, summer, fall. Um, but right now I, I don't per se have, you know, enrolled in a course. Um, I'm just trying to button up my thesis and then, you know, finish this spring. That's awesome. When, when do you think you're going to be done with that? Uh, well, I'm supposed to have my thesis submitted by, I think April 16th um, so that I'm going to have to push even harder than what I have been pushing. So I definitely want to get it done as quick as possible because, you know, I feel like I've been bleeding for years. Wow. That's pretty cool. Can, can you hit on a little bit about what you're doing or is that like top secret information? So, uh, so Old Dominion university has a a satellite um, effort where we're, we're deploying a, 10 by 10 uh, centimeter satellite that's 30 centimeters long. It's called a CubeSat. You can look it up on NASA's website or just Google it. And I am, uh, I'm doing my thesis, um, doing a particular analysis called a failure modes effects criticality analysis. So I'm basically researching every single failure that could possibly happen on that satellite in efforts into mitigating all of those risks. So, uh, you know, for instance, like if uh, you flip the switch on in a room and you expect a light to come on and it doesn't come on, um, figuring out what are all the possible issues on why uh, that power isn't being supplied to that light bulb. Is it a light bulb itself or did a wire short out? Go down the list, but uh, I'm doing this at a satellite level. So there's, you know, literally a million and one things that could possibly go wrong. So I'm trying to figure out all of those failures um, and then uh, mitigate all of those risks by either doing uh, a design change or um, by testing it out in, you know, a thermal vacuum chamber or a uh, doing vibration testing on the component. Um, So it's definitely uh, taken all of my education and putting it to use, which, um, you know, this goes for John too. Like when he has an opportunity to do a senior design project to definitely uh, utilize uh, your abilities and your background from welding and apply it to a project. And then you can kind of use that as a selling point. If you ever want to go to another company, uh, you can say, Hey, this is how I've applied my education to a project Um, or, you know, just utilizing what you know and in benefiting a project because you're going to be working with, you know, mostly engineering students that have, like Dale was saying, probably have never picked up a drill and may right. not even know how to change the oil in their vehicle or take off a tire. Um, so 
definitely uh, using that experience to your advantage is, is definitely a good thing. That's pretty cool. So, John, it sounds like you're kind of, I would say, I'm not, no offense, but kind of at the beginning stages of taking some engineering classes. Robbie, sounds like you're a little bit further along with it. I mean, you, you have your engineering degree now. Um, with that said, out of all these classes that you're required to take, you know, all the hours that's spent in these classes, is there any single class that you've taken that you've looked back on and said, oh, man, I learned all of this throughout my welding career? Is there anything that exists that way, or is it all, like, pretty much brand new information? Um, I haven't, like you said, I haven't gotten as far as Robbie is. I think when I get to, like, thermal dynamics, it'll be like, oh, my God, this all, like, you know, is applicable to what I've been doing for the past, you know, 15, 20 years as a welder. Um, but even like right now I'm taking statics and it's just, everything seems so obvious. Like I've been building frames for machines for 15 years and statics is nothing but like, you know, uh, stresses and pressures being applied to non-moving parts, which you don't want a frame to be, you know, moving. You want it to be a solid static piece of equipment. So, uh, yeah, it's just funny that, um, I'm learning all this up in school. That is exactly what I've been applying without knowing it, uh, in my professional career for all this time. That's kind of crazy that, I mean, that, that is really, really crazy, actually almost directly relatable. Yeah. I would say, uh, you know, classes like material science, I think was the most like eye opening. Um, you know, as a welder, you're always working to procedures. You're always, you know, at times you're working in, um, you know, where you're required to have a preheat on the material. And, you know, as a welder, a lot of times you're just told to do these things. And if you start asking questions, maybe that person um, may not know the answers. They just tell you that's what the procedure is, but then you get into the material science of it and you start understanding, um, you know, the boundary layers of the material, uh, at a, uh, you know, a microscopic level. And it just seems like so obvious. I think it, that was the most like refreshing thing going through engineering school is, is being told as a welder to do all these things, you know, throughout your career and then learning why all these things are put into place, I think is really cool. Um, but yeah, material science, uh, thermodynamics um, was very interesting, especially, you know, I remember particular jobs where I uh, was welding on, on a component and then, you know, experience, you know, high levels of distortion and not understanding, um, you know, how heat transfers through the material. Um, and then, big one. then learning, uh, learning about that in school, uh, you know, another very refreshing topic, um, you know, to learn. And then, you know, I really enjoyed, uh, you know, senior level courses like mechanical design. Um, they do actually get into a little bit of welding, but it's kind of funny. I remember when I was taking it, the professor was trying to tell us about welding and electrodes. And I'm like, you know, I said to him one day after class, I'm like, dude, I could literally teach this whole section, you know, you know, 7018, what do those numbers mean? For instance, right. you know what I mean? Like stuff like that. Um, but Did also, he let you teach it? No. He, oh man! <laughs> it, I mean, I think he he covered welding in like one lecture, 
which I know like everyone in the class that wasn't a welder um, or never welded before, you know, went right through one ear and out the other. But, right. you know, it's just kind of funny how they do touch on that a little bit. But, you know, also like, you know, you know, shaft and bearing design in um, bolt design or bolt selection, um, you know, kind of just goes back, you know, I realized like a lot of welders in general, most of the time are pretty handy and, you know, are working on their own vehicles, um, you know, right. engines and stuff. So then seeing the design side of that and understanding on, um, you know, how to correctly balance a shaft and, you know, bolt selection and then getting into uh, materials with yield strength and tensile strength, uh, you know, it all, it's like a revolving circle back to welding. Right. Right. That's, it's, it's funny that you guys, uh, that you say that about, uh, welders being handy in some sort, you know, because when I, when I entered the welding field, I wouldn't have considered myself handy by any stretch. Um, I definitely didn't know how to change a tire or anything like that. Um, I was a skateboarder and surfer. I knew how to build a ramp pretty poorly. Um, but that's about it, you know, and I learned a lot from, from the welding trade just in general. Um, but both of you guys, I mean, John mentioned something about BMX and bike parts and stuff like that. And I know those dudes, they always have a broken bike. They're always working on it. Robbie, you did, um, you know, this is just something that I know about you. You did motocross and stuff like that as a background. You know, and I imagine both of those very similar. One has a motor, one doesn't, but you're always working on those types of things. And you're always probably wondering things like, you know, how's this work or it, deeper knowledge of it and that engineering sounds like it brings that deeper knowledge to light so it's a little bit more relatable for you guys too when you think back to it and you think back to working on a motorcycle or working on a bike and then you think you're sitting in class and your uh your teacher's talking about something you're thinking about this instance where x problem happened on on the bike or the motorcycle and that now you're understanding the full reason why and what the failure actually actually happened and why it happened maybe it was a material thing or something like that you know it's I, pretty uh pretty interesting and i'm sitting I, here thinking about it and reminiscing on it i think i've actually become a better welder and fabricator after going through engineering school than i ever was when you know while i was doing it full time like for instance you know fixing cracks on on t-tops aluminum um anodized aluminum on on the boats you know fixing Fixing an issue uh, is one thing, but, you know, maybe implementing another gusset in the right position uh, is another thing. So, uh, the, you know, the, the welding and engineering uh, has definitely been a, a big uh, influence on how I've been able to address other things outside of work, which is, is really cool because knowing how to weld is one thing, but knowing how to fix something correctly is another thing. Right having that background is, is huge. Um, so John, go ahead. Uh, I just wanted to kind of follow up what you were saying about yeah. uh, the background of like BMX and motocross and, um, how both of those industries so heavily rely on engineering. Um, just like the progression that they're constantly making, they always need like better parts that last longer and are going to keep people safer and like having the knowledge of like stress testing and like heat treating parts, you know, just makes everything so much better for both those industries. So, uh, yeah, like 
when, when I was younger, I didn't really think about that stuff. But now I'm like, oh, I could actually like, you know, apply that kind of stuff if I did want to like, you know, make some sort of contribution to BMX in that regard. Right. I mean, imagine, imagine being in high school and deciding, I mean, just a simple part on a bicycle and, uh, and a motocross bike, maybe just handlebars or something like that. Building your own set of handlebars and then actually going out and using them with the knowledge that you have just, just coming out of a, a welding one or welding two class. I can only imagine how, I mean, it could be a success, a success, but for me personally, I knew that it probably wouldn't be. You know, and it's all a material, material science standpoint. You know, are you using the correct steel? You might be able to weld it just fine, but are you using the correct material for that application based off of the force that's applied to those parts? You know, in this instance, the handlebars. And so it's kind of interesting when you think about it, simple little part like that, but how much engineering actually goes into that little tiny part. You know, it's a big deal when you really break down and think about it. And as a welder, believe me, it hurts. It hurts to say there's a lot of engineering that goes into these things, but, um, but it's the truth. It's definitely the truth of it. So um, one thing I wanted to ask you guys a little bit about is uh, your goals. So, and this is something that I really, really preach to my students. And it sounds like both of you guys to some degree are goal motivated. Um, and we'll, we'll say, you know, what, what are your long-term goals and more specifically and don't be scared not to hit on the engineering aspect, but what are your long-term goals in the engineering field? Like, where do you see yourself 10 years from now? What do you want to be working on? It doesn't have to be, um, you know, the exact stuff you're doing now, but where, where do you see your impact? Where do you see that happening? Yeah, I would say for at least me, um, I definitely want to be able to, you know, to be an engineer that's contributing to um, making systems or components better, um, you know, whether that's on, you know, you know, transitioning more into the aerospace industry, you know, satellites, rockets, um, you know, like NASA. Right now, there's a big initiative going to Mars. Um, you know, I don't know how realistic that it is, but I would love to, you know, contribute to that. Um, I hope they send you up there, man. Yeah, I would go too. Sign me up. Um, but yeah, just being able just just to not get into a role where I'm cruising along, um, I you know constantly want to you know raise the bar and definitely um, you know use all of my experience to you know maximize my potential. But uh, yeah, I would love to eventually get on some projects that are supporting the Mars mission. Would be awesome. That's cool. What about a, a position? Do you see yourself just being an engineer? Can you go higher than an engineer? Yeah, I mean, there's different levels of of definitely of engineering, and there, there's a um, an exam I can take to to get certified as a professional engineer, um, which is a big deal in uh, in engineering. Um, short term, that's what I would like to do once I finish grad school. Um, okay. But management-wise, I'm not trying to be an engineering manager. I'd yeah. rather just show me something that's that's broken or needs to be fixed, and let me figure out how to how to get us there. Right, right. What about you, John? 
so right now, very short term, I've actually just been offered a position in the engineering department at my job. What? Um, awesome. Congrats, yeah, like, man. So I should be starting that this week. Um, sort of like as a liaison between the shop and the engineering department. It's um, like a then perfect position. That, yeah, I mean, it's like ideal for me. It's a good segue into engineering. Right. Um, beyond that, uh, you know, get that degree. It's going to take me a couple of years to get the, the bachelor in mechanical engineering. And then um, from there, maybe transition into a welding engineer. So I'll have the mechanical and the welding. Obviously, I have the welding background to, you know, back that up. Um, so that would be super right. useful for me and for whatever company I'm with. Um, yeah. Probably stick with the one I'm at for a while. And I don't know, probably focus on heavy equipment because I've, you know, been in that field for so long, but also maybe transition into like transportation. That's sort of okay. adjacent to that. Wow. That's awesome. Is there, did, did either one of you guys have like a, in approaching engineering school, was, was there a plan B or was there always just, plan B was just to fall back on my welding skills and be a welder? Or was there a plan B in the aspect of, well, if being an engineer doesn't work out, I'm going to be a rocket scientist or obviously maybe not a rocket scientist, but whatever. I would say if, if you're working full time right now as a welder and you're deciding to go to engineering school, there is only one. Yeah. I mean, to be able to, to, to make it each semester, you have to have the mindset that literally failure is not an option. There is only plan A. Right. Um, because once people start thinking about a plan B, it's very easy to not, you know, study for an exam or do that homework, you know, one day after you, you know, maybe you just work 12 hours, um, you know, but you have to think long-term on, uh, on what you, you know, what, what really is driving um, the reason why you're even going to school. So I would, I would suggest people have the, the motivation to, you know, plan. There's only one plan and, uh, and failing at that is, is not an option. Okay. Interesting. I agree. I agree with you to some aspects for sure. Um, I think that's a good approach. Like you definitely want to have your sight set on, on a goal that you know is not going to be easy um, and just like try your hardest at it. Um, or if, if there is that situation where it's just really, uh, it's not working out for you. I think for me, I guess my, my backup plan would have been to try for more of like a education, uh, welding education uh, career. You know, I've been doing it for 15 years. I have, uh, you know, kind of mastered the skills that I use every day. And when I see other people struggle with it, you know, that's kind of painful for me because I'm like, you know, I could be helping five other people get up to a certain level so that I'm not having to go back and fix their work or somebody else isn't going have back to have to fix their work. So right. um, when you do have years of experience, you can also, um, you can help other people. And if that becomes your career, helping other people get to where you were, you know, that's also, um, you know, that's a great contribution as well. I think both of those things, you know, the failure is not an option. And then the, the willingness and the ability to help other people that those two things are like, I mean, they are humongous traits to have 
approaching the engineering field. I mean, imagine being an engineer and saying, well, if this bridge breaks, there's always a plan B. They can take a boat. You know, those kind of things. It would be kind of ridiculous for an engineer to say that. So, you know, initially when you when you said when you said failure is not an option, Robbie, I kind of thought about it like I talk to my students sometimes. I'm like, you know, hey, you, you might fail at some things. But as an engineer, you know, sometimes it it really shouldn't be an option in a lot of aspects. And then, John, I mean, the willingness to help other people. I'm sure all of us here have uh, have approached an engineer with a question and got a shrug of the shoulders or, you know, hey, you're not even worth my time answering the question to you because you're not going to understand it. You know, those kind of things from engineers definitely sometimes happen among welders. But, dude, those are, I mean... Perfect, perfect, perfect responses to that. I mean, being being an engineer, you're definitely going to have times in your career where something that you're involved with is going to fail. So when I say when I'm saying failure is not an option, I mean, of course, ideally, everything you lay eyes on or you put your work on, you you don't want it to fail. But if it does fail and, um, you know, that just creates an opportunity to learn from it, assuming it's not catastrophic you know, major impact where you would lose your job. But if there is a failure to learn from it and, you know, to just to use that, you know, as experience wise to not make the same mistake that would result in the same failure. So as long as you're learning from those failures, um, then you're just, you know, it's just part of being an engineer and, you know, in doing anything, um, you know, just learning from your mistakes. Is there, you know, we're, we're pushing an hour right now. Is there anything that you guys, you know, would like to get out that we haven't talked about yet? Is there anything that you guys would like to say to, to the welding community or even to the engineering community if we have some engineers that are listening? Uh, yeah, real quick. Um, everybody that is a welder that's listening that just despises every single thing about engineers, uh, you got to understand that they're for the most part, they're coming from uh, they're coming from a good place. They want to expedite everybody's job. They want to make things as easy as possible. They don't always have the same information that, that the trades have, um, but they have some pretty powerful tools. Like, you know, CAD is a great tool that they're going to be using to try to get everything as perfect as they can for the people that have to build it. Um, nothing is ever done maliciously from an engineering point of view. It's just not, it's not in the cards. Um, so there, there has to be more understanding both ways between engineers in trades and vice versa about uh, what, each, uh, what each department brings to the table uh, to achieve what they're trying to achieve. Right, that's... Uh... That's valuable words, and it's coming from somebody that at one point in our careers, we were working alongside each other saying, how the hell could this engineer have done it this way? Definitely. So I, I would, appreciate that, John. I would also add, like, you know, a major effort into engineering in, in into departments uh, or entities. Um, if they're not doing it, it should be to making – uh, jobs easier for the welders and mechanics to perform the work. Um, you know, there's like a huge effort right now 
at uh, Newport New Shipbuilding with implementing robotics um, into a lot of the manufacturing, um, whether you're taking something that, um, you know, say through holes that were cut by hand with a torch and then putting a pipe through it and then welding it up. Whereas, you know, they're implementing robotics to get a more, uh, a more precision in the cut to make that joint easier for the welder to weld. Um, you know, it's just one example of engineers trying to make jobs easier for the craftsmen. And then also I would add, you know, if, if anyone's listening, that's a welder or, you know, in another, um, you know, industry as a mechanic or whatever, uh, and you have always like, you know, doubted yourself, uh, you know, being smart enough to, to go into engineering school, you might, uh, you might surprise yourself on, on how well you do in, in schooling, just because of all of the experience that you've already experienced throughout your career. And, um, a lot of, a lot of classes and topics may, actually you know come to you pretty easily just because you've worked on uh you've been working with your hands or you've worked on things before um so definitely uh you know don't underestimate yourself uh if 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 engineering is something you want to pursue that's all really really good words there i you know myself not an engineer like i said you know, I find myself talking crap sometimes about engineers, but sometimes it's just easy to do that. Um, at, coming from the welding world, like John said, because you have that knowledge, you know, and, and imagine if if you went up, you're having a, a particular issue and you went up and you said, hey, man, well, what do you think about doing it this way? You know, sometimes that engineer's response is going to be like, wow, I never even really thought about it that way, especially somebody that thinks the way that you two do about it. Um, yeah. I, I would just say absolutely. Like a lot of times when I'm in the field and I'm looking at something, I always ask the mechanic what they think. You know, what yeah. do you think caused the failure? How can we make this better? You know, they suggest ideas and then you use your knowledge from school and, you know, you make a change that uh, is collaborative instead of, you know, trying to do it all by yourself because the people ripping things apart or, you know, welding on, on things definitely are thinking of easier ways on doing the job. So if you never ask them, you're never going to know. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, closing things down here. Um, I think that's a good, that's really a good outro to the conversation. Um, I'd like to ask you guys, you know, for everybody listening, how can they get a hold of you? How can they, you know, follow you on social media or something like that? I don't expect you guys to give out your email addresses, your phone numbers, but if, the, if anybody out there wants to ask you guys for more advice or talk to you in a deeper conversation about this, or maybe their options, you know, how can they, how can they get a hold of you? Uh, for me, you can, I guess, just hit me up on Instagram, uh, either give me a follow or just shoot me a message. And I'm sure I'll message you back at ride Johnny ride. That's at ride Johnny ride, like the misfit song. Ah, uh, okay. Okay, I always wonder where that came from. <laughs> what about you, Robbie? Yeah, so my uh, my Instagram is aqua underscore Rob, and that's aqua underscore Rob. Um, yeah, if you shoot me a message, I'll be more than happy to answer any questions, uh, you know, give you a little bit more insight on different things that I've worked on in my career if you're interested or, um, you know, anything about 
about welding as well. And uh, and I'll I'll end that, um, John. You know, I would definitely uh, I would definitely one hundred percent give him a follow. You know, if you're into BMX, skateboarding, those types of things, John posts videos all the time. Awesome, awesome quality of riding going on from him. Uh, Robbie really into fishing, uh, out there catching the monsters of the sea every single day, bringing them in. Um, not every single day, because obviously you're studying at some point, but when you get some free time, that's what you're doing. Um, you guys can follow me. You've probably heard my social media before, uh, at shoot a photo, Instagram, uh, Facebook, Dale Eric Spilker on Facebook. Shoot me a message there. Shoot me a message on Instagram. Uh, my business page is, um, high underscore tide underscore fabrication on Instagram. You can also look up high tide fabrication on Facebook. Um, and hopefully I didn't mess up the Instagram tag. It's been a while since I've looked at the page, but my personal page is probably the best one to follow. Um, you can also um, hit me up on the forum, send an email to weld.com. Um, those places, you know, obviously leave comments on videos. Those kind of, those kind of things don't go un unseen. Um, we like to get an answer, everybody. Um, with that said, make sure if you guys haven't already, go to our YouTube channel, subscribe, um, become a member on our website. Really, really valuable information coming there. Um, go to our form. Check out the information that's on our form. Even if you're not asking questions, even if you're not giving input on the form, very, very valuable information. Obviously, I'd love, love to hear from you there. Um, and obviously, look out for the next podcast. You know, thank you guys for listening. Yeah.